Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for this opportunity of participating in this series of the Big Picture Sermons. Today I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. I'll be reading from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, where we read about the promise of the Holy Spirit. But I will also refer to Acts chapter 2, where we read about the arrival of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. But before I read, let me say that in Acts 2, we are told that when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. Just to be clear, that is not what is going on right here and right now. Rather, what you're hearing is English, pure, clear, and distilled through the streets of Glasgow. Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read from verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking and Tently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The revolution has begun. The disciples of Jesus have seen its beginning. It's a beginning without an end in sight. Part two of Luke's gospel, known to us as the Acts of the Apostles, narrates stunning newness. The newness begins with Jesus, not an idea, not a principle, not even a memory, but an impossible reality. Flesh and blood on the other side of death, standing in front of the disciples, alive and well. So writes the American theologian Willie Jennings in his commentary on the book of Acts. Thus in Acts 1, it is a resurrected word, not an idea, not a principle, not even a memory, but flesh and blood on the other side of death, who now teaches his disciples. He teaches them about the kingdom of God, a theme that has been dominant throughout his life. And then he tells them to wait, wait, where? In Jerusalem, wait. Wait, for what? For the transpiring, materializing, baptizing Holy Spirit. Jesus says to them, verse 5, 
Acts 1, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in response to this, there comes a question from the disciples. Lord, are you this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It seems that this is a question that not only one of them have, but it seems that this is all of their question. For it is as they gather together, they ask it. Perhaps they meant to discuss it beforehand in a sort of what if he had only one question to ask Jesus competition. Whatever, this is what they come up with. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Clearly, it was important to them. But watch this. It's also important to us. For in this series of sermons called The Big Picture, you've been focusing on the covenant. God's agreement with the people of Israel to bless them so that they could be a blessing to others. And this question which the disciples ask can be seen as a covenant question. What is going to happen to Israel? What is going to happen to the covenant as God's kingdom is now carried forward? Jesus takes her question, but he redirects it. He redirects it away from the focus on times and dates to a focus on the promised arrival of the Holy Spirit. It's not for you to know the times or dates, he says to them, that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus answers in this way, Because now, through his death and resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the way in which the covenant is going to be worked out and the way in which God's kingdom is going to be carried forward is being made new. Last week, Rob spoke about the resurrection as the moment when everything changed and I'm now pressing that idea forward. With a nod to Tracy Chapman, with the resurrection of Jesus And the promise of the Holy Spirit, the tables are starting to turn and we are talking about a revolution. Let me spotlight three main ideas related to the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit is something to be experienced. I still remember the building. It was a large sandstone house. It was located at the end of a short, dark driveway. The car park in front of the house had no lights, but the lights shone out from the large downstairs bay windows of the house. The lights shone out into the darkness, almost like some sort of witness. They say it was a house, but it was a house that had been changed into a, like a community building, or in this case, a church. You know the sort of thing. When you go through the front doors, you're not greeted by a a warm lobby light, some boots on the floor and coats on the hanger. But rather, you're greeted by a a bright light, somewhat bland paintwork, and a notice board on the wall that tells you information such as what to do in the event of a fire. Well, there would certainly be fire in this place, but not necessarily the sort you would want to put out. The large downstairs room had been changed into a meeting room. Rows of green canvas covered seats is what I remember. With a table and a lectern at the front. And a guitar. I mean, a guitar. In the church. 
I was there with at least one of my teenage friends from the small Baptist church which we attended. The fact that we attended church at all was a bit of a shock to us. We were all recent converts to the Christian faith and came from nominal or non-church backgrounds. And we were there at that house because we'd been brought by one of our youth leaders. This was the 1970s. Charismatic renewal, a movement that emphasised the reality and the gifts of the Holy Spirit was spreading through Scotland. This church in Bishop Briggs near Glasgow was one of the leading centres of that movement. That evening and in that place we experienced a vibrancy of worship, a style of song and singing, an approach to teaching And the exercise of spiritual gifts that was very new and unfamiliar to us. We would in coming days spend many hours sitting in our youth leader's red car discussing these things. To be sure, while the charismatic movement brought renewal, it also brought controversy and disagreement. Our deacons back in our home church were not very happy. They did not agree that such experiences of the Holy Spirit were for today. Indeed, one of our youth leaders would be required to leave our church for involving us in such things. My, oh my, that was a long time ago. And now I might have many opinions to express, but two things I would say here. First, during those days as a convert to the Christian faith, I was introduced to an expression of Christianity that was dynamic and filled with a tangible sense of the presence of God. Second, those days created a a conviction that I, I never lost, and that is that the Holy Spirit is as much a reality to be experienced as a doctrine to be believed. In Acts chapter 2, as Jesus has promised And the prophet Joel proclaimed, the Spirit came. We read, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what appeared to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest in each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. There's no doubt the first disciples experienced the Holy Spirit in sight and sound, wind and fire, mouth and speech in a way that left them filled and appearing intoxicated with the reality of the presence of God. When in Acts 1 Jesus had told his disciples to wait for the Spirit, he then went and did something. He left them. He ascended to heaven, leaving them alone and staring into the sky alone. But with the coming of the Spirit, he kept a promise. The promise was that he would not leave them as orphans, but would send to them another counsellor, advocate, comforter, the Spirit of truth. In and through the Holy Spirit, the disciples knew and were assured that God, the Father of Jesus Christ, was with them. They were not alone. 
they had not been left alone. We have not been left alone. The Holy Spirit has been given. The Holy Spirit is a reality to be experienced. The tables are starting to turn and we are talking about a revolution. Come, Holy Spirit. Just as the promised Spirit is to be experienced, so the promised Spirit is empowering. You never told me, my wife said to me, you never told me before we moved here that Canada gets hurricanes. Hurricanes have been added to her you never told me list, a list which also includes snakes and bears, and that's just the Canada list. Though, come on, I thought bears might have been pretty obvious. The real issue with the hurricane, however, is not so much the hurricane, but the power. It feels that where we live in rural Nova Scotia, that whenever there is a strong wind, or indeed the sound of a strong wind, that we lose electrical power in our home. In our house, the loss of power affects everything, our ability to cook, heat, work, use the internet, and oh yes, the sump pump in the basement. There's a thing. Forget about hurricanes and bears. I never knew there was such a thing as a sump pump. And it kind of feels that all the excess water in our street gathers around the foundations of our house and goes through our sump pump. And if by the loss of power, if, if the loss of power is accompanied by heavy rain, then we have a crisis. If you've never seen a Scotsman trying to pump water out of their basement window using a whole small hand-operated boat pump connected to a random bit of tubing, then you really have never lived. I think that's what my neighbour thought when he saw me. You should put that in your bucket list of things to do. No No pun intended. We need power. We need power because power allows us to do things. In Acts chapter 1, when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, he promises power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The idea of the word is dynamite. Dynamite. It's a power to enable the disciples to do things. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. A witness is someone who tells what they've experienced. I think one of the best examples of what a witness is is found in the Gospel of John. On one occasion, Jesus healed a man blind from birth. This was a bit of a shock. A bit of a shock to everyone, including the man, his neighbours and his parents. It was such a shock that his neighbours could not really believe it. And the kind of gossip in the street was, is that the man who was healed? Well, maybe it was. Maybe it's just a man that looks like him, but it wasn't actually the man who was healed. The religious leaders, not great fans of Jesus, were none too pleased with what was going on. And they began to interrogate the man, presumably the man who had been healed and not simply a man who looked like him. They began to interrogate the man with philosophical and theological questions about blindness, sin, Moses, the law, and Jesus. And at one point, as I question him about Jesus, he answers, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. That man was a witness. For that is what a witness does. Show and tell of their experience. The Holy Spirit is given to the church to enable it to bear witness to the world of our experience of the risen Jesus Christ. 
And this is what happens in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit comes. Empowered by the Spirit through words and actions, through individual words and common actions, the believers bear witness, show and tell what they have experienced. And God added to their number. The Holy Spirit has been given to empower us. The Spirit has been given. We are not alone. The tables are starting to turn and we are talking about a revolution. Come, Holy Spirit. The promised Spirit is meant to be experienced. To be experienced as one who empowers and as such as one who will expand the mission and the nature of the church. You will receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. At the beginning of this sermon, I read a quote from Willie Jennings, an American theologian, the beginning of the sermon may feel a long time ago to you at the present, but I read from Willie Jennings. Part of the critically significant contribution that Willie Jennings is making is to demonstrate the limitations and indeed the dangers of Christianity when it is captured in a single container, be that container the container of whiteness or the container of the ideology of any single nation, be that the US, Canada, UK, Scotland, or whatever. Christianity is not the property of a single people, place, or politic who get to define its nature in such a way that grants them privilege and excludes others. In Acts, we see that any such attempted containment of the Christian faith to one people, one place, or one politic is contrary to the nature of the Christian church baptized and birthed in the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Spirit is given to empower the church to reach out beyond itself to other peoples and other people's groups. The Spirit is given to empower in a way that will transform the world, but also in a way that will transform the church as those presently excluded are included as part and partners. In Acts 2, when the Spirit comes, we learn that they were staying in Jerusalem. We're told, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment to ask what is going on. Because each of them heard their own language being spoken. In Acts chapter 2, we see the beginning. In Jerusalem, it's spreading, it's expanding. It's changing. Yet, despite the diversity of Acts chapter 2, those who gathered were still God-fearing Jews. And this was still Jerusalem. 
It is in the rest of the book of Acts that we see the story of the expansion and the change in the church. A defining moment in the book of Acts occurs in chapter 10. There we read of how, in a vision, Peter is told to eat forbidden food. This experience leads to him being involved in the conversion of a Roman centurion called Cornelius and his household. They are converted to the Christian faith. The validity of their conversion is attested to by the descent of the Holy Spirit upon them in a way very similar to the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the first disciples. The Christian church is expanding and changing. The Spirit was motivating and validating the transformation of the church. But critical in that story is not only the conversion of Cornelius, but the change that his conversion requires in Peter and in the early church to understand and accept that Christianity can and indeed should take root in all sorts of different cultures, for that is God's desire, that all nations will be blessed. Such expansion and inclusion of the people of God can challenge the treasured way we do things. Throughout the history of the church, such a challenge to change has been resisted. But such an outward mission and inward change is essential to the ongoing life and indeed survival of the Christian church. The late Fred Craddock, American preacher, scholar, he tells this very pointed and poignant story. Craddock says this, The first little church I served was in the eastern Tennessee hills, not too far from Oak Ridge. When Oak Ridge began to boom with the atomic energy, that bitty little town became a booming city just overnight. Every hill and every valley and every shady grove had recreational vehicles and trucks and things like that. People came in from everywhere and pitched their tents, they lived in wagons, hard hearts, hard hats from everywhere with their families, children paddling about in the mud in those trailer parks. These families lived in everything temporarily to work. Our church was not far away. We had a beautiful little church, white framed building, 112 years old. The church had a organ in the corner, which one of the young fellas had to pump while Miss Lois played it. Boy, she could play the songs just as slow as anyone. The organ was a little slow. The church had beautifully decorated chimneys, kerosene lamps all around the walls, and every pew in this little church was hewn, hand-hewn from a giant poplar tree. After church one Sunday morning, I asked the leaders to stay. I said to them, Now, we need to launch a calling campaign and an invitational campaign in all those trailer parks to invite those people to church. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I don't think they would fit in here, one of them said. I mean, 
They're just here temporarily, just construction people. They'll be leaving pretty soon. Well, we ought to invite them, make them feel at home, I said. We argued about it. Time ran out. We said we'd vote the next Sunday. Next Sunday, we all sat down after the service. I move, said one of them. I move that in order to be a member of this church, you must own property in the county. Someone else said, I second that. I voted against it. But they reminded me that I was just a kid preacher and I did not have a vote. Years later, when we moved back to these parts, I took my wife to see that little church because I had told her that painful, painful story. The roads have changed. The interstate goes through that part of the country. So I had a hard time finding it. But I finally did. I found the state road, the county road and the the little gravel road. Then there back among the pines was that building shining white. It was different. The parking lot was full. Motorcycles and trucks and cars parked in there. And, And out front, a great big sign. Barbecue, all you can eat. It's a restaurant now, so we went inside. The pews are against the wall. They have electric lights now and the organ pushed over into the corner. There are all these aluminium and plastic tables and people sitting in there eating barbecued pork and chicken and ribs. All kinds of people. All kinds of people. I said to Nettie, my wife, it's a good thing this is still not a church. Otherwise, these people couldn't be in here. The role of the promised Holy Spirit who came at Pentecost is not maintenance but mission in a way that transforms both the world and the church. The Christian writer Eusto Gonzalez writes, The book of Acts is a call to Christians to be open to the action of the Spirit, not only leading them to confront values and practices in society that may need to be subverted, but perhaps even leading them to subvert or question practices and values within the church itself. The Holy Spirit was given to be experienced to empower the early church to bear witness so that it could expand and extend its mission and its nature. The tables are starting to turn. We're talking about a revolution. Come, Holy Spirit. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is to be experienced as empowering and as expanding the mission and the nature of the church through the gift of the Holy Spirit, God is carrying forward his covenant in a new way with us, in us, and through us as a people who are meant to be blessed in order to be a blessing to others. The tables are starting to turn. We are talking about a revolution. Will you join the revolution and pray? Pray now. Pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you.